0: Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth and shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none Their tongues fail for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia tree, the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. And the Holy One of Israel has created it and so father tonight as we approach your word and and just so that we um understand just a little glimpse of who you are tonight uh, the privilege of knowing that we fit in this category of being needy and poor that we fit in this category of of needing you uh daily and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you hear us when we pray we thank you for that. I thank you for uh, the privilege of being able to come in the middle of the week and being refreshed and coming before you and knowing that you hear us, uh, to sing with my, my friends and my family, my, my church body, and be able to corporately worship you together. It's truly a, a privilege that we have. And Lord, we, we thank you so much for this church. For the privilege of coming to a, a church that has their doors open and and with a, a friendly uh, greeter out front by the name of mark who who just greets us warmly lord i thank you so much for the privilege of coming to a church with pastors that that love the people we thank you so much for uh pastor mike atkinson and pastor mike cosper and pastor mike butler and Pastor Mike Ostheimer, I ask that you give them uh, a clear vision for our church, that you would give them a wisdom in their actions daily, Lord, that they would be the examples for uh, this church. We lift up to you our elders, Larry, and especially uh, Ron tonight. Uh, we ask that you put your healing hand upon his body after his open-heart surgery, Lord. And I ask that you would just bring him back safely, give him the strength, the endurance uh, for the work that he does behind the scenes that no one ever sees. I thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives and in this church. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, It's truly a... You know, one of those experiences as we walk through this section. And last week we, we went through Isaiah chapter 40, one of those, you know, popular passages where we're supposed to be waiting on uh, the Lord. And what does God do when we wait upon him, when we seek him uh, solely for our lives? He gives us that strength just as an eagle has wings to lift them up. And now we see in this other reference here to the reference of agriculture and what does God do to the desolate land, Uh, this land that's going to be left uh, barren for 70 years. You see, at this time, this is a prediction of what's going to be happening in the future within 150 years. The Assyrian Empire has just surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They've been, you know, chased back. The angel of the Lord came down, killed 185,000 of them, and they're going to, you know, disperse. They're going to go back to their land. They're going to find out that their king has been assassinated by his son. And then within 150 years, another kingdom is going to rise. The kingdom of Babylon. And Babylon is going to come and in or 586 uh, B.C., the same empire, Babylon, is going to come and surround Jerusalem again. Uh, this time, God is going to give Jerusalem over to the people of Babylon because of their sin, because of their disobedience uh, to uh, the Lord. And so for 70 years, the land is going to be desolate. There's going to be a desert, basically. All the walls are going to be torn down. The temple itself, this beautiful temple that was King Solomon's that was filled with gold and covered with all those beautiful uh, pictures and all the beauty of that amazing temple that King Solomon built, it's going to be destroyed. And within that land, we're going to see the needy, those that were left, the riffraff, All those that were not taken in the first exile, in the second exile, and during the time of the collapse of the walls of Jerusalem. And all that's going to be left are the needy. All that's going to be left are those that are just poor. And what's God going to do for them? It says it there in verse 17. And the poor and the needy seek water, but there is none, and their tongues fail for thirst. And I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Will God always keep a remnant in Israel? Yes, he will. And this is the privilege tonight of seeing not the, you know, the big prophecies coming true, but those little faithful prophecies to the everyday person in Israel, the common Jew. The the one who wasn't the king. The one who wasn't the high rulers within the land. These were just the common everyday people. Did God still love them? And does God still love us today? The common people. The the ones that, you know, don't have any titles. Uh, the, The ones that just faithfully serve. The ones that just come. Does God still hear your prayers? Yes, he does. In fact, it goes on, as we see in verse 18, I will open rivers in desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. All these beautiful events that are going to take place in order to bring agricultural back to the land of Israel. If you go to Israel today, they're literally on the cusp on the the you know, the scientific edge of producing produce that is technologically advanced. They have engineered date trees that used to be too high for a person to climb and they've engineered them down so that now they're short. And yet they produce just as good of fruit, and so they're easier to harvest. All these amazing things that you see in an arid climate that come from now the land of Israel, this land of milk and honey. And look at the trees that are listed here, by the way. These trees you would normally not find in a desert uh, climate. And hopefully you were able to research some of these trees from last week It says in verse 19, and I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the cypress tree and the pine and the box tree together. Did you guys have a chance to look up this oil tree? We're not talking about, you know, the black oil that comes from the ground, you know, uh, Texas tea, all the, you know, the crude oil. What, what kind of oil tree would grow in Israel? Olive, yeah, very good. Olive oil, right? You know, that, that expensive bottle that you would normally get from the store that, you know, 25 bucks for a small pint or something like that, right? That, that grow in Israel, that was a commodity in Israelite uh, times, and even today it is today. You go to Israel and many people bring back their precious jars of olive oil. It's in all of the stores. Why is that such a precious commodity? Because it grows in Israel. And then all these other trees, the myrtle tree uh, and the cedar tree and the acacia tree, myrtle only grows in certain climates. It only grows in certain areas of the world. It only grows in the you know the Oregon coast, Northern California, Oregon coast, and also in Israel as well, because of the climate that is there in uh, the coastal regions. This is a slow growing uh, hard density grain uh, tree. In fact, it's also mentioned even in uh, the Psalms by uh, David. Uh, himself, or the cedar tree, which was used for construction. In fact, all of the construction within the temple and King Solomon's uh, uh, house palace was all made out of cedar. Uh, this tree that was resistant or is resistant to pests and termites, and all the things that can cause decay uh, to a tree. In verse 20, it even says it more amazingly. Above and beyond the produce, above and beyond the trees, above and beyond the climate, above and beyond uh, the good things that are happening in the nation of Israel. But in verse 20, what's the reason why God is doing this? That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. And the Holy One of Israel has created it. Does God still bless his people? Yes, he does. In fact, God will cause these trees that need this mild climate and consistent watering to thrive in what was once a desert. To be able to grow. That an agricultural, literally, as it was described in the book of Exodus, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? That this area of the world that was blessed with the climate and with the soil and with the, you know, produce that they're able to produce. And God is blessing them uh, mightily. In fact, in verse 21, it continues on with this trial that we've been seeing going all the way back to the beginning of chapter 41. It says, present your case, says the Lord, bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Now there's several things that I want you to see in this passage. This is God speaking. We see that this is the King of Jacob, the God who chose Jacob, the God who is over Israel. Okay, remember Jacob in the wilderness. What did Jacob do after he, you know, um, tricked his dad into giving him the birthright? After he tricked his brother into giving him the birthright, what did he do? He ran away. Where did he go? To his uncle, Laban. And on the way there, what did he have for a pillow? You guys know the story. A rock. And what did he see that one night when he was laying on that rock and he saw a vision? What did he see? A stairway to heaven. And on this place, he called it Bethel at this time, the, the house of God. And we see in this journey that he goes to Laban and he again, instead of being the one that's tricking, he's the one that's tricked. And how is he tricked this time? He see, yeah. <clears throat> so instead of getting the, you know, the pretty daughter, what did he get? The cross-eyed daughter, right? He, after working seven years, he lifts up the veil, and what does he see? This cross-eyed lady, you know. And, of course, he's still, you know, married her or had already married her. And then what does he do? Another seven years, and he works for Rachel. Tricked, just as he had been the one uh, that tricked. By the way, Jacob literally means uh, heel-biter or heel-grabber. Uh, the, the one who... Betrayed or tricked his own twin brother by, by trading a bowl of kidney beans, red beans, and bread for the birthright. And then again, tricking his dad later on, pretending to be Esau so that he could get the double blessing. The, the two thirds that was supposed to go to Esau Uh, his brother. What does it say there in this amazing passage? Every single time you see a reference to God, it's always in the plural. Just like in Genesis chapter one, let us make God in our own image. Every single time in this verse, what do you see? Let's read it again. Bring them forth and show us What will happen? Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them or declare to us things to come. This court scene that you see the majesty of who God is as the judge over the nation of Israel, uh, you know, reprimanding them for their actions in the past. And what does he say? Present your course to us. Present the information to us. What does that represent? Who else is in authority in this throne room? Is it the angels? No. It's the Godhead. We see the Trinity all the way back in this amazing passage. and It continues there in verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have raised up one from the north and he shall come from the rising of the sun. He shall call on my name and he shall come against princes as though mortar. And as the potter treads uh, clay, this is, again, God speaking. He's going to raise up a person. And We're going to see that person clearly described in chapter 45. But this person is going to come after the Assyrian Empire. He's going to come after the Babylonian Empire. He's going to come during the reign of the uh, Persian Empire when Daniel is in uh, it, or Babylon itself. In fact, we're going to see his name later on, not only in chapter 45, but we're going to also see his name in Nehemiah as well. Uh, God's going to specifically choose this person to release the nation of Israel back to the land. After 70 years of being in a foreign country, the nation of Israel will come back to the land through this person that God has chosen. In fact, in verse 26, it says, who is declared from the beginning that we may know and former times that we may say he is righteous. Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. And the first time I said to Zion, look, there they are. And I will give to Jerusalem one who brings good tidings. For I looked And there was no man. I looked among them. And there was no counselor. Who when I asked of them. Could answer a word. Indeed they are all worthless. Their works are nothing. And their molded images. Are wind. And confusion. You see God. Will mold history. And fulfill. His will. Not man's. And just like the people of Israel and the surrounding nations had molded those idols, thinking that they had made these gods and were now worshiping them, the gods that had saved them, the Baals and the Asherahs and all the the gods of the surrounding nations. And at the same time, what is God saying? I molded you. I created you. And the privileges knowing that the Creator who created us, who molded us, did it in his image. You see, when you look at an idol, even even in another you know up country or, or another you know place, you go to someone's house and maybe they're from a different culture and they have idols on their walls. What do those idols look like? Do they resemble people? Yes. Why? Because we create things that we can relate to. And even though there's a, a status assigned to that idol, there's a status assigned to that statue. Do you understand all those things were had to be created by another person? And yet at the same time, they're being worshipped as a, you know, lowercase g-o-d. But what is God Almighty? The Omnipotent One. The Creator of all the earth. The Creator of the universe itself. When He created, what did He do? On day one, He created the heavens and the earth, right? Right? all the privilege that we see every single day of creation. And on that sixth day, what did he create? Man. And what did he create man in the image of? Different from all the animals, different from all the plants, different from all the things that dwell in the sea or live in the sky, different from everything, man was created in the image of God. You see, it continues on in verse 42. And this is the privilege that we have of seeing and understanding, looking back with 2020 vision, the privilege of seeing the servant king coming. Because that same God who created a man in his image, people in his image, is now going to come to earth in the image of man. Not as a king, not as a ruler but as a servant. In chapter 42, it says this, behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. You see, in the previous verses, we saw the us, we saw the we. We, we saw the plurality of, of who God is, his triunity. And in this one verse, we see all three together. Do you see it? Who's the I? Who's the I in this verse? God, the Father. Who's the servant, my servant, the elect one? Who is that? Jesus Christ. And who's the Spirit? The Holy Spirit. All three working together in salvation to bring salvation to the earth. It continues on and we're going to see this again in the New Testament and I'll show you in just a little bit. But the next three verses, it it perfectly lays out what Jesus Christ would do, not according to the plans of human beings, which is what we always try to do with God, but according to the plans of God. In fact, in verse 2, it says, He will not cry out nor raise His voice nor cause His voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flask or flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. You see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14, these verses are quoted. These exact verses are quoted for Jesus Christ, this prediction that Jesus Christ would come not as a king, but as a servant. You see, the, the teachers of the day during the time of Jesus had this idea that the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the anointed one, would come as a king riding a white horse. And what would he do? He would free the people of Israel, the Jewish people, from under the Roman rule, right? He would come in and and vanquish the enemy. But what did he do instead? You know this. In verse 12, verse 14, it says this. Then the Pharisees went out and they plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying that Jesus does all these miracles, literally healing every single person that comes to him. And he says, don't tell a single soul. Don't brag about it. Don't boast about it. Don't tell anyone about it. Why? To fulfill these verses that we just read. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my soul or my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Quoting chapter 42 of Isaiah Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 12, it continues on. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, break, and a smoking flax he will not quench till he finds or sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. You see, there's another point that is so... much repeated in these verses that is emphasized in fact in the new testament from these verses did you see the two words that were the same that started with the g who did jesus christ not just for the jews alone but for the gentiles as well you see the privilege of knowing that jesus christ came to this earth as a servant and yes, he came uh, for the Jews, uh, for the lost sheep of Israel. But who else did he come for? The Gentiles as well. You and me. People that have not a single drop of Jewish blood in them. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, or uh, verse 12 through 18, we, we see this description of what it is like to be a slave or a servant. Because many times we have a a different definition of what it means to be a servant. You see, in Jewish culture, there was a a specific term that was used. In Jewish culture, it's not like, you know, what we have the idea of a slave, a a person that you would capture and take and, and put into your servitude, and they were your servant for life. And there was no way or hope of of repaying any form of debt. You see, in the Jewish mind, uh, uh, service was always voluntary. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 12 through 18, it says, If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. You see, there was certain qualifications, whether they got into debt or there was some way that they couldn't repay any of their loans. They they had to work it off for a certain amount of time. And after that time period, they were allowed to stop working and they could be a free person. But there was this option, as it says, In verse 13, and you shall send him away free from you. You shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine press. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him a portion of what he had worked for you was to be given to that servant. But it gets even better. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you in your house since he prospers with you. This is a conscience choice by the person that chooses now to become a servant, to become a slave. It's called a bond servant. And there's a certain right that was supposed to take place. It says in verse 17, and this isn't for the squeamish, by the way. Then you shall take an all. You guys know what an all is. It's that thing that you would use that has a sharp point in the handle and you'd use it to pierce leather or metal. It has that that almost like a nail coming to a sharp point at the end. And what would they do with that awl? A-W-L. They would thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. What would they do with the earlobe? Putting it on the doorpost of the house and piercing it through with an awl. Do you understand what the sign of the servitude was? A piercing. That little piece of flesh, by the way, that was left into the doorpost, every time that servant would walk through the door of that house, they would see the hole. They would see maybe even a little bit of their flesh still left in that hole. The place where their ear was put. As a conscious, not not as something because they had to do it but because of something that they wanted to do, right? This is is a conscious choice that they're making. A piercing had to take place for the servants. You know what I'm getting at, right? Who is the servant back in Isaiah chapter 42? Remember, Jesus Christ. And What did Jesus Christ consciously do, choosing to do? pierced on the cross for our sin. You see the picture? You see, a piercing had to occur in the life of the servant to make it a lasting choice. You see, you will have a perfect body. There'll be no more scars in heaven, no more sickness, no more cholesterol no more high blood pressure none of the things that we think of that you know uh you know especially as we grow older the scars from surgeries the scars on people's necks i think of kevin who was just in the hospital and, and that big huge hole on the bottom of his foot because of the you know the the you know the sepsis that's you know, started in the bottom of his foot, or, or Ron Paul with his open heart surgery. You see, there will be no more scars in heaven except for on Jesus Christ Himself. What scars will He have? The piercings, the piercings on His wrists and on His feet. Do you see the picture? And every time we walk by Jesus, we'll be reminded of what Jesus did for us. Isn't that an amazing picture? You see, it's the servant who comes. Jesus Christ, not as royalty, but coming in the form of a little baby in a manger. Whose parents weren't even rich enough to sacrifice a sheep for him, being the firstborn. They had to sacrifice those little turtle doves that were reserved for the poor. Philippians chapter two, verse seven, it describes it a lot better than I am. It says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. There's that word again. Purposely choosing to be a servant, the one who's going to be pierced, to prove that He is the one that is staying and being found, or and coming in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of a, as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death, of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted Him. And given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who is Jesus Christ? the one who came as the example for us, not to lord it over one another, but to be a servant to one another. What what was John and James doing when their mom came and said, well, could you please, Jesus, let my one son sit on your right hand and my other son sit on your left hand? And then all the other apostles are jealous, right? They all start arguing, who is the greatest of us? And what does Jesus do? You remember the story. He wraps that cloth around his waist, gets on his knees, and starts washing his arguing friends. And starts washing his arguing apostles. Starts washing his arguing disciples, right? Washing their feet as an example of what it means to be a bond servant and then of course oblivious to them by the way they they're arguing over what's going to happen in heaven and and what is going to happen the very next day jesus christ himself is going to be crucified on that cross for them the arguing apostles for us the arguing christians for us the ones that you know vie for certain positions within the church but what is jesus the example of to be the servants isaiah chapter 42 verse 5 it continues on thus says god the lord by the way this capital l capital o capital r capital d you guys know what it is we learned this when we were going through the book of psalms it's the name of god yahweh who created the heavens and stretched them out to spread forth the earth and that which comes from it who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord have called you in righteousness and have hold, and will hold your hands. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Why is Jesus coming to the earth? We, we say it every single time we take communion as the new covenant in his blood. the the guarantee in the blood of Jesus Christ, the seal in the blood of Jesus Christ for what he did for us, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well. Those without a single drop of Jewish blood in them to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners uh, from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. You see, this was one of the proofs that Jesus was who he was when he was here on earth. Why did Jesus perform miracles? Why did Jesus free people from blindness and deafness and muteness and from lameness? Why did he heal people when he was here on earth? To fulfill these verses. In fact, John the Baptist knew this. And John the Baptist was in a prison cell and he asked this question in Matthew chapter 11, verse two. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, and by the way, this is the same guy who had baptized Jesus and seen the dove come out of heaven. The same guy, okay? And he's in prison about ready to be beheaded and what's happening not only to his faith, but also to who he believes Jesus Christ to be. Give me a sign, Jesus. Give me a sign. What does he say? He sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Is all my work in vain? Is all that I did by baptizing people just in vain or are you the real one? And Jesus answered and said to him, and he quotes these verses from Isaiah. The proof. Of his messiahship. The proof of who he is. Go and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind see. And the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended. Because of me. Fulfilling again prophetic word all the way back from Isaiah, uh, the prophet, from these verses, fulfilling who this servant king uh, was gonna be. And then verse eight, I am the Lord and that is my name. My glory I will not give to another. Nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they bring forth, I tell you of them. You understand that there was a qualification to be a prophet. The qualification for being a prophet was that you had to predict every single thing true. You had to be 100% accurate. Is that a scary thing? especially if you're the one that is being chosen by God to be the prophet, that at any time, if any one of your prophecies did not come to pass, you could be stoned. Because that was the, you know, the standard. A hundred percent fulfillment. And, and you think of Isaiah's prophecies, a lot of them are, you know, for 700 years in the future, when Jesus Christ comes, or, or even, even further Uh, when Jesus Christ dies. But there were prophecies that had to be fulfilled even within the time period that Isaiah was alive. Those prophecies also had to be 100% accurate. The prophetic word that the uh, people, the nation of Assyria that would come would go home, uh, that the king of Assyria would be assassinated. That the king of Assyria would die. All these things come true within the lifetime of Isaiah. These short-term prophecies come true. And then what does that do for the long-term prophecies? Is there faith now knowing that the long-term prophecies would also come true as well? You see, we look back And we understand, yes, Jesus came to this earth. Jesus died for me. Yes, Jesus healed the lame and the blind. He healed those that were sick, those that were dead. We believe that by faith. But we also have long term prophecies as well. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Do you believe in the book of Revelation, which the women, by the way, are studying on Monday nights and Wednesday mornings? Do, do you believe that those things will come true in the future? The same is true for today, just as it was in the time of Isaiah as well. You see, a prophetic word is being fulfilled before our very eyes right now. We just have to observe it. We just have to open up our eyes. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them through the prophetic words of the Bible itself. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song and its praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah uh, sing. Uh, let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man and he shall stir up his zeal like a man of war and he shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. What did Jesus Christ do after he died? was buried and rose again. You guys know this story. After coming and walking on this earth, literally talking with his apostles, what did he tell them to do? We call it the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world. All these places that are listed, the deserts and the coasts, the mountains and the valleys, and preach the gospel to them. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, predicted during the time of Isaiah. I've held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers, coastlands, and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by a way they do not know. And I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our gods. You see, God is going to those that have no spiritual sight. And the word of God, the gospel itself will be preached to them. Who does God use to preach the gospel? You and me, his disciples, those that call him Lord. You see, if I call him Lord, what must I do? I too must submit to his commands. I too must submit and go forth. On Monday nights, we've been going through a study of the book of Ezekiel and then also uh, uh, alternating that with uh, the way of the master, which is a uh, presentation of what it means to be a, a person who goes out and, and tells other people about Jesus Christ. Just the tools to be able to do that. In fact, in verse 18, uh, we see the the other picture of the deaf. The first uh, two verses there, verse 16 and 17, we see the blind, those that can't see, uh, those that don't want to see the goodness of God. And then in verses 18, 19, and 20, we see the deaf, those that close their ears to the gospel, those that don't want to hear. In fact, it says, hear you deaf, and look you blind that you may see, who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send, who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not uh, hear. Jesus said this many times. The crowd, they would hear the words of Jesus Christ. And they would come for the food. They would listen to the message, but it had changed their lives. No, many times they were just blind and they were deaf to it. They didn't understand the words that Jesus spoke. And so Jesus, he would take his disciples aside and he would explain the parables to them. He would explain the messages to them. And even the disciples themselves, uh, many times the Bible would say that they too didn't understand it. They too didn't understand the words that Jesus would speak. When did they start to understand? When did they start to learn? When the Holy Spirit came to this earth and opened up the eyes of the blind. The spiritually deaf ears were opened. And God speaks to human hearts. Verse 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. But there is a people robbed and plundered All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says restore. You see, not only the deaf and the blind, but those that are captive to sin itself. Those are imprisoned by their own choices and their own addictions. Does God reach out to those? Yes, he does. The blind, the deaf, those that are prisoners. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor Were they obedient to his law? Therefore, he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. He has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know, and it burned him. Yet he did not take it to heart. You see, when Israel was in charge, they would always lose. When Israel was a sovereign nation themselves, being able to choose themselves, what would happen? They would lose. But when God was in charge, they would win. Why did Jesus Christ die on the cross for you? What did he save you from? Do you understand that, you know, and we, we know this, not only did he come to, you know, free us from our sin, uh, to, to save us from Satan, to, to, you know, free us from the things that, that bind us, to forgive us of our sins, but there was something else that he saved us from that was even more powerful than sin itself. And I hope you understand this clearly because as we've been going through this, every single one of these instances is of God bringing his wrath upon Israel. What does God say? What does the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ save us from? The eternal wrath of God, hell itself. And thank God he saves us from our sin. Thank God he forgives us. Yes. 100%, we need that. But do you understand that every single one of us in this room will face a day of judgment? And if we have not chosen Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what will we experience? Not just fire and brimstone, not just separation from God, but the wrath of God for eternity. Because of our sins, because of our misdeeds, because of our choosing to go against God, just as Israel does in these verses. In fact, in verse or chapter 43, we'll see this as we walk through. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters I will be with you and through the rivers they shall not overflow you and when you walk through the fire you shall not be burned nor shall the flames scorch you for I am the Lord your God the holy one of Israel your savior I gave Jacob for or Egypt for your ransom Ethiopian Sheba in your place Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. And I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You see, God loves Israel immensely. In fact, during this time, we're going to see within 70 years from these predictions coming to pass, that God is going to bring the people of Israel back from everywhere on the planet. Not not only during this time, but also in 1948. You remember what happened in 1940, May 14th, 1948. Nation of Israel becomes a, a recognized nation. And what happens to all the people from various Nations around the world that are Jewish. What do they do? They come back to the land of Israel. They come back to their homeland. God brings them back. Fulfillment of prophecy. Centuries and centuries later. Verse 7. Everyone who calls by my name. Whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes. I have made him. Do you know why I pray, Uh, as many times as I get to pray, uh, that we would not only give God glory, but live for the glory of God. Why do we do that? Because of this verse right here. Why were you created? For myself? So that we could have a good life? that we could have a good job or a good family. Why were we created? For the glory of God. That's why we were created. The privilege of knowing that he chose and made every single one of us in this room for his glory. Verse eight and nine, it continues on, bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf Who have ears, let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There it was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Not only does God love Israel immensely, but God is also eternal as well. As we learned two Sundays ago, from eternity past to eternity future, Verse 11, I, even I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. You see, God is the only one that redeems and the only one that reconciles. Verses 12 and 13, I have declared and saved and I have proclaimed and there is no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work. And who will reverse it? God is omniscient and God is omnipotent. In fact, the very definition of the name of God is here. What what did God tell Moses at that burning bush? His name. What will I tell the people of Israel who you are? And he said, I am that I am. I am sent you, right? The theology of understanding that God always is, always will be, always has been. Right now, He is, I am. Verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as refugees, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. The omnipresent way maker. The one whom we are to praise. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep for your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. You see, have we been so ungrateful, just like the people of Israel, that all we do is complain. When we keep our eyes on ourselves, all we see is our sin and our iniquity. We become so self-absorbed like the people of Israel. And rather than being grateful for what God has done for them, they just complain all the time. In fact, that's what they were known for in the wilderness, right? Moses just wanted to, you know, stop. Why? Because of the complaining of the people of Israel. Verse 25, I, even I, who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins, Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father's sin and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. Romans chapter 1 verses 28 through 32 and we'll end it here it says this, repeating a lot of these previous verses. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, but also approve of those who practice them. You see, the understanding is that God came as the servant king for us to die for my sins that I could not even begin to pay for. And why did Jesus do it? For his glory, for his purposes for you and for me. The humble king submitting to the will of the father for you and for me. All predicted all the way back in the book of Isaiah. And hopefully again, as you read these chapters and maybe meditate upon going back over these things that we just kind of had to read through it and just reading them yourselves. As you meditate upon these words, let it transform your life that our eyes would be open, that our ears would be open, that we would really see what Jesus Christ did for us, leaving heaven itself and coming to the earth for you and for me, to die on a cross, to be pierced, choosing to be pierced for you and for me. And so, Father, tonight, I ask that you would remind us again. It can be, Come so um, uh, blasé in our minds; it can just become a rout in our minds. It can just become this, this uh, repeated words over and over and over again. It can become tradition. And Lord, please forgive us when we, when we don't fully feel it. When we, when we just go over the words without really understanding them in our lives anymore or it doesn't break our hearts for sin when we become calloused and stiff-necked just as the nation of israel uh, we we take you for granted so lord tonight prick our hearts Uh, help us to have that tender heart and just as we saw during the worship just the emotion What it means to worship you fresh, new, with with hearts that are softened, that understand what you did for us, that you came for us to fulfill prophecy so that we too could experience eternal life with you. We thank you for coming humbly and showing us the example of submission what, what it means to submit and what it means to serve. And so, Lord, tonight, help us to be that example to those around us, uh, that, that those of us here in this room or those that are hearing online or those that may hear in, in the future, that, that you would um, use us uh, to show other people what it means to be humble and a servant, just as you were, because we want to be the example, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for coming to this earth for us, for dying, for being pierced for our sins, for our transgressions, so that we too could know you personally, Lord, so that we too could experience life eternal with you forever and ever and ever. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.